strongest things from a commercial to be commercially successful that if you have already 75,000 instruments on the market in daily use it's much easier to get the user to use it than buying a new instrument for you know, first of all a lot of money but also you know, getting it into the lab and getting it through all the, the hoops of, of quality and finance. Welcome to this episode of Speed of Life. This is a podcast series exploring the rapidly growing life science industry and its role in innovation for a healthier and more sustainable society. My name is Abe, and I'm co-hosting this episode with my colleague, Diana. Thanks for tuning in today, and let's dive in. Hello to all the listeners of this episode, and a warm welcome to our two guests, Linus Boseus and Lei Chen from Rarity Bioscience. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having us. You're warm welcome to you both. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, just to get started, could you introduce yourselves and also maybe tell us uh, how you ended up at uh, Rarity Bioscience? You start, Lei. Uh, yes, um, my name is Lei Chen and I came to Uppsala like around 10 years ago to study my master's degree. And then I came across to UFS Research. And then I did my PhD at the UFS Research Lab focusing on the uh, asset development and then um, after my PhD defense we realized this, the stuff that uh, we uh, invented during my PhD uh, training was uh, something can be used in the clinical application so we continued like a couple of years more to investigate it does it really mean something like to the clinics or is it just something like what we only us we believe so then yeah and, and we got support from Vinova and we got support from uh, VR. So um, after that couple of years uh, investigation, we decided to start Rarity by the middle of 2021. Mm. So. And when you say Ulf, you mean Ulf Landegren? Yes, exactly. Ulf Landegren, yes. Yeah. And who is Ulf Landegren for the listeners who may not know who he is? Ah, right. Uh, well, he's uh, 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 a technology-driven uh, uh, scientist. Uh, who always has an invasion like to um, you t- to 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 bring the technologies into the uh, um, either the, uh, f- to help the researchers or to help the clinicians to advance the um, uh, the the, 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 stu- the, bi- the biology to advance the medicine. So he has co-founded uh, several uh, uh, companies that uh, um, have very unique position in the market. Hmm. At least. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you, Linus? Yeah, um, I studied, born and raised in Uppsala, studied physics engineering. So a master's in physics here from Uppsala. And then I went to the US for a year and studied sort of entrepreneurship and product development. And, and then I started my career in, um, in sort of research or military research for FOE. Um, and then after five years, I, I realized that I wanted to do something else. And I ventured into to life science or, or med tech sort of by, by accident working on a innovation with my father-in-law. Um, so I realized that uh, it's a very interesting field. So that's 11 years ago now. So I've been in, in various startups for within the life science scene since then. And uh, uh, one of the people I came in contact with early on was, was uh, Uwe Erman, who's also another profile from Uppsala. Um, and uh, 
about one and a half year ago, I, I told him that I was looking for something new. So he put me in contact with uh, with Ulf and, and Lei, and uh, yeah, that's how uh, I came to Rarity. Yeah. Uh, and now you're the CEO. Yes. Now they were essentially looking for someone to focus more on the commercial and business side of things. And given my past experience, uh, I think it's a good match with with the very deep scientific knowledge by by Lei and the other. Um, so we had, I think, quite some dating uh, in this in the <laughs> spring <laughs> 2021 before before we sort of joined forces. Okay, good. Uh, Lei, what do you think made you, as a researcher, uh, become interested in becoming the co-founder of of a company? Yeah, well, um, everything starts with the uh, an idea like uh, Uf proposed to me, like uh, he wanted to build up a very um, gigantic uh, uh, ding particles, but that uh, have very strong have very had very strong uh, signal intensity. But uh, to make such ding particles, uh, it's difficult because um, the approach that we initially took has its own flaws. So we struggled a lot, little bit to uh, not a little bit, actually it's quite a lot <laughs> to 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 make things like working in the right direction. But eventually, we came across with a superset and uh, design, and uh, then we call it superset technology. And then we think it's moving uh, very smooth in the right direction. So we uh, um, tried different applications, and uh, we realized the mutation analysis was the the best for now, like uh, to demonstrate its power. Its utility, yeah. yeah. And how has the transition tr- transition been from going to from from a researcher to a, to a CDO role? And yeah, yeah. Um, to get things published is one of the aim of the uh, research uh, uh, and, and project. But then we realized, in order to have to make the thing like available for everyone, like you know, who want to try it, who want to um, uh, to help the patients. Um, can, they cannot just take the publication and you uh, apply it in their um, daily work. Mm-hmm. So it has to be um, to be uh, wrapped up, you know, to put it into a good shape, to be uh, tested, validated it's extensively, to make it really reliable that uh, you know the end user they can just use it and uh, trust uh, the data that they generate with the asset. Mm-hmm. So all these work they cannot be done in academia. No. So it has to be in a more commercialized settings. Yeah. The researchers are happy when it works once. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> In industry, that uh, <laughs> it can't fail once. So yeah. I think that uh, that has probably been one of the um, let's say changes for for you and also for the other people that we have brought f- from uh, straight from academia. That uh, you know, in when we're doing product development or. You know, and doing this from a commercial perspective, uh, the requirements are completely different. And first of all, that you need to actually st- state your requirements. Typically, researchers are, are taking a lot of, uh, um, I said, the, the, the quick path to, to find the right solution. But uh, sometimes you also need to take a few steps back to actually define your criteria to make sure that you have your, your accurate uh, uh, product at the end. But uh, I think Lei has done a very, very good job. And we have a nice team now is also doing this transition and uh, we are actually mm-hmm. um, learning every every week new things as we have yeah, new yeah. new resources and new skills added yeah. to the team as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's a quite a transi- transition, I think. Uh, it's mm. not easy and it's not for everybody. Uh, Linus, you have been with the company for a year now, approximately. Yeah. yeah? Uh, how do you think the company has developed and uh, has it gone as planned? <laughs> if you had um, a plan, <laughs> I'm sure you had <laughs> some kind of plan. <laughs> I mean, I think a smart person once said that uh, um, planning is everything, the plan is nothing. Yeah. Or the other <laughs> way around. <laughs> Uh, but actually, I think it has been more or less according to plan. Uh, we didn't really have a very solid plan. Uh, we had a couple of hypotheses that we wanted to kind of you know, reject or, or verify. And I think we have verified most of them. Uh, of course, everything is always a little bit slower than you want. But also, I'm pretty impatient. So I think looking from an outside perspective, I think a lot has happened in the, in, in the, in the past year. So I think we are now at a much more mature state in... Uh, knowing the value proposition of the product, knowing the first applications more in detail, and also knowing a little bit more about the long-term potential. Um, So we set out uh, to sort of validate this, and I think in this year we have done that, and also come a long way in actually starting up with working with customers and formalizing the the And who is the customer? Uh, That's a good question. So the, the customer, it... It's in different stages, right? So right now we are doing service for researchers. So uh, what Lay mentioned, basically, we, we the technology offers something for the researchers to study a disease. Um, so that's typically the first phase. You have a clinical researcher that wants to investigate something that you can then implement. Uh, so right now the, the customers uh, or the collaborators that we like to call them um, is the researchers. Um, and as soon as we have the first sort of kits ready, like they mentioned, that we can ship and basically scale this, make it available, then uh, we will continue to serve the, clinici- um, um, the researchers, but then also going for the labs. Uh, so the labs that are running tests, both for research and for clinical use. Um, so it's a, it's a phased approach. <laughs> so you mentioned a bit um, about your value proposition there and you mentioned the product the super rca technology and so just wondering a bit about what what are the applications of the super rca technology and what what are these value propositions you've come across for this technology maybe without going too in depth into the science but yeah yeah I can uh, give like a brief introduction, like how uh, uh, how things work. So uh, basically, we are generating DNA um, particles from an uh, input source. The input source can be any different DNA uh, samples from the patient and from the fetus, anything. Then uh, we can <coughs> generate that input into like DNA particles, but also do a sequence recognition. So the sequence recognized will be reflected into the fluorescent color that, that is carried by these particles. And then the uniqueness of this technology is we can use standard lab equipment that is widespread in the labs nowadays and uh, use, the, use those uh, instruments to read out, to enumerate these products. So say uh, you don't need to build up a dedicated instrument, but uh, what you need is just something already exi- existing in the lab and running the assay to and to get the data, the information that you are looking for. So we are, um, I think we are uh, bringing a completed new menu, like a, a, a new menu of the, uh, a selection of nucleic acid tests to the existing lab equipment that is already present in the clinical labs. Yeah, I can, I can just reiterate <coughs> on, because when I did the sort of the, the 
homework, the due diligence before joining the company, I was looking at what was posted as the value props. And there's a lot of technical value props. You can have some a product that's 10 times better than what's on the market. But if that comes with a big uh, instrument, or uh, then the lead times are typically very long. So it's not always the best technology that wins. It's the technology that's mo most suitable to solve the problem. And uh, what Lay and, and Ulf and the team at the lab had done is basically to use a very powerful assay and make it work on existing equipment. So basically what Lay described, you take a uh, small sequence and you create a, a artificial cell-like particle. So you can use the cell counter in the lab. So basically molded the technology to fit the workflow. And that I think is really something that few companies do early on. Typically you build something to be the best then it also helps that it is more sensitive than other techniques and that it has other features to look at multiple mutations at the same time. But I think one of the strongest things from a to be commercially successful, that if you have already 75,000 instruments on the market in daily use, it's much easier to get the user to use it than buying a new instrument for, yeah, first of all, a lot of money, but also know getting it into the lab and getting it through all the the hoops of, of quality and finance so here we have something that is uh, let's say readily available yeah um, to use it sounds extremely versatile and so i wonder like what what are the key applications whether in lab or outside of the lab that you're kind of looking into at rarity for the super rca technology um, the first indication that we are working on is the leukemia patient. Okay. Because we realized um, the leukemia patients, um, <coughs> it's very hard to follow them in a very um, uh, um, timely fashion because the, the traditional way is to do a bone marrow sampling, and that is painful. So you cannot do that like every week. You cannot do that every month. It's like now the clinical routine is like three every three months you can have a bone marrow sampling. But uh, on the other side, these uh, leukemia patients, they are relapsing much very fast. So in three months, things can change different, very severe, from no symptom to you know, need to be taken care of in the hospital. So, <coughs> and we realized um, these leukemia cells, they can also be shredding into the blood circulation, but at a, at a very low quantity. So if you have a very, very sensitive method that can, looking for these uh, shredded leukemic uh, cells in the blood circulation, mm -hmm. then you might have another approach to find the earlier signs of these patients. Like, they are, do they, did they relapse or they are still doing fine? So um, we find a perfect match with the uh, um, assay sensitivity and the readout platform and the clinical case. So it's like three things they are matched together uh, very nicely. So that comes out to be our first clinical uh, indication. That's mm. great. And of course, uh, a liquid biopsy approach is, is of course, preferential uh, yeah. to other approaches. And mm. have you found that there, there are other potential liquid biopsies out there or other similar technologies out there? And if so, what, what really sets the super RCA technology apart? Uh, yeah, that is also one point that these patients, the, there is already a guideline to follow them on a molecular level. So again, we are not inventing uh, nor the workflow nor the routine. So they are being uh, evaluated for, for these molecular markers. 
but then you typically use sequencing or, or digital PCR. Um, so both have um, you know, pros and cons. Um, but uh, with, with leukemia, you have the uh, abundance of DNA because in the liquid biopsy, you have the white cells where you have a lot of DNA. Uh, so here you can really push the sensitivity by inputting a lot. And, and one of the benefits with the super RSA is that it's 10 times more sensitive. Wow. So here we can really show, even against the, the dedicated instruments in, in the field already, that we can, can detect the relapse earlier because you know, the, the, the deeper you can see, the earlier you see the, the relapse. And it's typically not the, the level of mutation, it's the trend. If you have a growing uh, number of mutations after your treatment, that means that that's not going to go back by itself. So that needs some type of intervention. Um, so I think that the, the uniqueness of the product from the sensitivity plays in a lot here. Uh, for other diseases, such as uh, solid tumor cancers, you're looking at the cell DNA in the blood. So here we are leveraging another, let's say, unique selling point or, or a strength of the technologies that we can do it in a multiplex. So typically for a colorectal or a lung cancer, you want to look at a number of mutations at the same time, but you have a very limited amount of DNA coming from your plasma in the blood. So from one blood draw, you can only get maybe 10,000 cells or equivalents. Um, so here you, you don't want to split that to lose sensitivity. So you want to have something that you can analyze multiple mutations at the same time without losing the sensitivity. Um, so we are also working uh, in the field of lung cancer and colorectal cancer. So we hope to have some publications on that as well. That's incredible. So basically, because of this increased specificity, you can also measure circulating cancer cells from solid tumors. Uh, yes, cell-free DNA that's read from yeah. the solid tumors. Okay. Right. So essentially, the technology is agnostic. Uh, we can look for any known sequence. Uh, so typically, also why leukemia is a good indication is it, within leukemia, you have target therapies. Uh, so whenever you find something, it's very good if you can do something about it. The same goes for colorectal and lung cancer, where there are known you know, target therapies and inhibitors that you can use. Um, but we can apply the technology to any known mutation, so for any type of cancer. Um, so right now we're working with the researchers to put together panels to cover the hotspots in certain mutation or disease types. So let's say one panel to, to work with the colorectal pan, uh, cancer patients and one to work with lung cancer to also make it cost efficient so you don't have to do kind of personal, personal panels or personal markers. So we have one product to fit most, <laughs> not all, but yeah. the most. Uh, because if you want to implement precision medicine or precision diagnostic, I mean, the, the cost is going to be at the end of the day is going to be very important. So having a platform already installed and having a, let's say, a, a kit or a technology that, that is sort of at least semi-standardized, I think is going to be key. So I think we are well positioned mm -hmm. in that aspect. Mm -hmm. This sounds like an extremely promising technology then. Uh, and it sounds like uh, you, you've, you've progressed quite some way. Um, just interested also um, in the company name, so Rarity, wh where does that come from? What's the origin of that name? Yeah, <clears throat> uh, right. The rarity was um, suggested by uh, Niels Landegreen, you know, the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, 
the son of Ulf Lundgren, that uh, he he's also on the board uh, of Rarity. So initially, like uh, he, uh, we everyone came uh, came out with their own suggestions, and then yeah, uh, and Linnaeus uh, he brought up this Rarity, and we f- we s- we uh, thought well, it it represents like what we are. Uh, the mission of, of of the company is to find low abundance, you know, real uh, trace of signs of these uh, molecules uh, in in a, in a specimen. So we thought that's a, a good match. So then we took that. I think it's catchy, um, but uh, there's also a, a funny story that just after the name was uh, kind of set, there was a, the uh, the daughter of a, a colleague at the lab. Who Notice, oh, just like my favorite My Little Pony. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, when you Google Rarity, you get yeah. My Little Ponies. Oh, but, uh, <laughs> but what is funny is that it's not any My Little Pony. It's the unicorn. <laughs> but it's quite okay. uh, unintentional. Yeah. unintentional. <laughs> but it makes for, for a good story at the end. All right, perhaps. so Rarity <laughs> has its own mascot yeah. before yeah. it even came out. Not really. I don't think we've ever used that. <laughs> no, 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 we are not using that. <laughs> not uh, yet. Uh, no. Maybe. That's yeah, no. a like, fun fact. Yeah, that's a, I think it's more of a fun fact, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I imagine, like, from coming to that point where you first founded this company, um, there must have been such a steep learning curve. So what what have been the biggest takeaways from being with this company since the start? Um, the, big, the big change is for me is, like, to change from the academia mode into the... Commercial mode. So things happening in the academia is. Uh, I, I will not say it's uh, it's not relevant, but uh, it's different focus. So in academia, you're focusing on to make you know to have a new uh, assay, to have you know a new finding. Um, but in the business uh, settings, you want to have something really stable, reproducible that is working mm. on everyone's hands. Mm. So it's different um, view, I would say. So that would lead to different activities. So in the academia, you will not do the same thing over and over again to see if it's reproducible. You don't care, <laughs> sort of. <laughs> uh, but in the business, that's the uh, that's that's the borderline or like that's the most uh, fundamental thing, right? You have to you have you want to have a product. Yeah. If it's not working every time, then it's not a product. No. No. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Would you have any advice then? Because, of course, Uppsala is very research intensive. Academia is huge here. Would you have any recommendations to others out there, maybe academic researchers who who want to commercialize something? Um, What would your advice be to them? Uh, I would like to invite them to come to Uppsala and uh, have a look and talk to people who are working here already, like, you know, to have a joint uh, uh, experience between the academia and uh, the industry. Yeah. So um, I think Uppsala is a perfect place to, uh, to, 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 gen- to, to, to make a new startup, especially um, uh, when you have a good idea about your research. Right, you know what, you, uh, what, what is the new, the new things? Then in Uppsala, you will find the right people, and uh, 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 the the proper resources, and also the uh, uh, especially the UIC at uh, uh, and the uh, U Innovation that is closely working with uh, the researchers from Uppsala University. They have a lot of resources that can help you to to fill in the missing part that uh, you want to bring things in uh, from academia into the commercial settings. Okay, that's great. Yeah, sounds very wise. Um, also interesting that we're in UIC's meeting room right now. <laughs> no, um, but, I, but I think, I mean, to uh, w- I think UIC is contributing to, to yeah. one thing that Lei is kind of pinching to, but 
like you need to mix competences like you can see a lot of great tech that doesn't go anywhere because it's just tech people doing the tech uh, so you need to mix the competences right so you need to have with industry experience, I mean, we have people on the board with a lot of industry experience. The first thing they ask for is like set it up for automation, run thousand tests to show the results. And that will kind of, you know, on from day one, put the very strict like, okay, this is the expectations. Um, so I if you if you just keep playing in your in your bubble, then you will only do what's inside of your bubble. So you need yeah. to really mix the the competences and the expectations, and uh, I think that was one of the things that i mean rarity pretty early on had a very solid board with with sort of many aspects represented uh, and i think that is also something that you know in a innovation cluster like this you can find people to match um to complement what you have started things. answering my next questions <laughs> actually <laughs> uh, i can't read this, this <laughs> yeah yeah no do you have another question a before i get to the cluster and you can you can questions. go ahead i yeah, can go ahead start yeah. elaborating on that yeah as you probably know stens is a uh, is 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 real passionate about contributing to the sustainable development of the ecosystem in the Uppsala and its connection with other clusters and and the two of you have uh, have uh, different experiences with Lee coming from China and Linus coming from the live science scene in Stockholm or you you know about it um what do you think sets Uppsala apart from other places in terms of innovation and setting up a company? Something you were already talking about, Lee. Uh, right. I think in Uppsala, it's it's pretty um, it's pretty easy, or like you you, you know the way that um, who can help you to uh, to get you connected. Uh, and, uh, and what is the way for, for um, those who, who doesn't know the way? <laughs> uh, well, you can reach out to these like in, like incubators like uh, in Uppsala, for example, UIC, and also like the uh, UUI, which is more related related to the uh, university side. But uh, you can reach out to them and uh, book a meeting. So they they have this like general advisor role. So uh, they have they are pretty knowledgeable. And you can ask all kinds of questions to them. And uh, if they cannot answer your question, then they will direct you to the proper person to set up another meeting or like to follow up the um, uh, meeting with even with our third party, you know, someone outside this organization that mm. to help to really help you to uh, to move things forward. I think that's pretty unique. I mean, in, in China, like when uh, I have little experiences, but my impression is um, people are more isolated. So they are not that decent, you know, um, um, very uh, closely uh, intact, in, in, intacted. So yeah. um, that's the, uh, I think I would say that's a unique difference. Mm -hmm. Maybe Uppsala is s small or big enough for us to have that close connection also. Yeah, um, I think you can you mm. can go by bike to any <laughs> yeah, place. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a pretty good yeah. summary. I mean, also Stockholm. I mean, Stockholm has more of everything. So it's Stockholm has a very nice and, and healthy life science cluster as well. It's bigger. Um, here you have everything within biking distance, essentially. But I would also say, I mean, I studied here and I graduated 15 years ago. And I don't remember, maybe I had a different mindset, but I don't remember this, like, yeah, this type of in interaction or this uh, hub being here at that time. Um, when I graduated as an engineer, you had to go to Stockholm or to Gothenburg to get a job. Like engineer, you could not find a job here. So that's also why I, I moved mm. for a bit to Gothenburg and then to Stockholm. Um, 
So now coming back here, I mean, I, I worked in companies where we had some operations in Uppsala as well, but now coming back here, first of all, a lot has changed, <laughs> new buildings and and new areas, but also I think from the from the innovation scene that was not here, at least when I was a student, from what I could see. But I would probably fact check when all <laughs> of these things, uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't remember that being so so present as, as right now. We were not uh, as visible, I think, uh, no. before no. also, yeah. And it has developed. It yeah. is definitely a rapidly yeah. growing kind of cluster now, and it, it, yeah. it accounts for a lot of Sweden's uh, life science productivity. So it makes sense it's really growing as a hub, and this proximity to everything really benefits in that, in that you have academia, the innovation support, and industry so close together, I think it, it, yeah. it's really allowing it to blossom. And, and I just hope, because when I studied physics, I was um, a little bit disappointed that you don't really have any interaction with, with the reality. You're in your sort of classroom bubble and you're doing your math and your physics, but you don't really know how to apply it. And then I did had a scholarship for one year in the US where I saw a completely different thing. Like every week we had companies coming um, you know, serving pizza and talking about things. You had this alumni network where uh, previous students would come back and sort of talk about what they were doing so you can get an idea, oh, how can I apply all my math <laughs> in a sensible way? Yeah. Um, so that was very inspiring. And, and that's, but looking back, that's also one of the, that, that was in Boulder in Colorado. So that's also sort of an innovation hub. Um, so I think that they probably worked a lot on their e ecosystem as well. So I just hope now that the people that are studying physics now gets more <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like uh, interaction from the outside to basically see how can I apply what I'm learning here and maybe what do I need to complement with. Yeah. Um, because I was missing that a little bit when I was studying here. It's a really good point. It's actually something we also have uh, recognized. Uh, and try we are trying to work with that by the case evenings that you are a bit involved in. We're trying yeah. to connect uh, students with companies uh, so they can see what what companies are there in Uppsala. Where can I work? I don't have to move to Stockholm, maybe. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's a kind of showcase for yeah. everyone here that there is a future after studies in Uppsala. Mm -hmm. Like uh, there's there's so much happening here. And I think being having that kind of exposure to the companies out mm -hmm. there uh, is really beneficial. Yeah. And something we have to work on. Absolutely. Also, uh, do you think Rarity can take a better advantage of what Uppsala offers? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Don't yeah, know. Um, <laughs> I think we already received a lot of support, like from Uppsala. Like, yeah. uh, um, like um, we have like investors that they are located in Uppsala, and uh, uh, we have like a lot of like business experience input, you know, from uh, uh, which is originally coming from the Fadia, you know, which is also based on the Uppsala. So um, yeah, I would say well, um, um, we, we we should working close, still working quite close to the uh, academia, although mm -hmm. we are not part of the industry factor, but we still need to working very close to the mm -hmm. academia mm -hmm. to to um, to further. Um, polish our idea to further see uh, mm. what can be complemented mm. with each other. Do you collaborate with other actors outside your organization but beside academia? Beside academia? Yeah. Um, we collaborate with the hospital, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. the hospitals, of course. Um, but as far as other companies in Uppsala that we collaborate with, uh, that's more on a soft basis. I mean, we meet other companies around here and share, just share knowledge. Like, um, 
um, you know, I, I meet a lot of the other CEOs or leaders here to talk about, you know, challenges or like recruitments or, you know, the, go the good thing or I don't know if it's good for all the candidates, but uh, essentially whenever we're hiring, there's uh, there's not a six degree of separation, it's half degree of separation. <laughs> yeah. So I can always get a sort of backwards reference because someone has worked with, with yeah. someone. So. Yeah. Um, no, I think that that is more on the soft side, but that also, I mean, that the proximity helps that, you know, everyone is so close, just here where we're sitting. I don't know how many, if you draw uh, a radius of 100 meters, you'll probably find, I don't know, 20 small companies um, that all are facing at least somewhat the same challenges. Um, so, yeah. Mm. Uh, if there were a few key things you hope listeners will take away from this podcast today, what would these things be? <laughs> mm, well, I can start. Yeah. So um, um, I think um, when I made the decision to join Ufslab, I think it's like uh, I, uh, I really um, uh, had like um, either or not kind of thing. So either I move on with, um, not move on, I like continue with the academia uh, career uh, uh, with Uf, or like I would just leave it uh, and go to the um, uh, industry. So um, I think it's important like to know uh, what you are after for your life. Or like for your career, so you, you, when you have that uh, mindset, then I think everything is much easier. So, um, so it's not like selling your soul going to the industry. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no. Um, um, well, I, I heard a lot of people say, "Well, f uh, follow your interest," but I think it's like uh, not only interest. It's like uh, you have to um, planning, uh, asking yourself what's your uh, what what's your uh, envision about your future. Like what's your, uh, what what would you like to do? So um, and then you get yourself prepared. So no matter like you know like knowledge wise or experience wise, you have to collect those parts. And what was your goal? If uh, my goal ask. now the current goal is to uh, to um, make the rarity a success. Yeah. Why? Why I mean we we got trust from the investors. We got support from all the people around us. You know from the all the um, people who are willing to help you. So you have to to show them that you really made an effort, that their help, their help really deserves. Mm -hmm. I think that's really important. And why do they invest in you? Um, well, um, they see that, I think the, uh, some of them, they see the technology benefit, and right? what, what it can change uh, to, the, um, uh, to the clinical uh, yeah. so, uh, thing. And another thing is like, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, people believed in us. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> and what will it change? I'm really putting <laughs> you on the spot here. <laughs> what will it change for the patient? What um, it yeah, well, we hope um, the, uh, with the help from Rarity's product, the patient would um, uh, receive the proper treatment earlier. So the, uh, their quality of life yeah. would change a lot. Mm. So it's not, that it's not like um, um, they will, um, um, it's not like they will, uh, um, 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 directly benefit is like uh, also need, you need to um, combine with the experience from the doctors. Yeah. So the doctors would, would uh, the doctor's role is also important. Yeah, yeah. it was a really uh, way of ah. question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, got I, a, I got a really long time to think. Now, yeah, <laughs> yes. now you have to. Uh, no, but be I really think. Good. Uh, <laughs> no, I think to take away. I mean, uh, if you're in the thoughts of starting a company, then I would for sure uh, not forget to to mix uh, competence. I think mixing competence is, is success. And uh, I mean, I've been talking to a lot of investors uh, recently and uh, as a CEO, you need to talk to investors continuously because uh, it's, it's best to, to 
to, to talk about to talk with them when you don't need the money and then you <laughs> get it when you need it okay. um, but if you think about it like you have a technology uh, maybe it's complex but you can still do an opinion like an assessment as an investor does this technology have value uh, you can do second opinions and you can get some kind of like rating does the technology hold up um, so, th so that's one aspect that's kind of easy to or sort of easy to assess and then you look at the market is the market big enough that's also very easy if you just google you can find reports and you can find the number is that market big enough is it saturated how much is it growing so you can kind of easily check those boxes then the third box is like execution will this company with this technology take even a small piece of this market that's the really hard assessment and i think we have been doing a pretty good job in in you know showcasing that we can deliver on what we are saying and that's a really important thing also for for small startups to remember don't get blinded by the by the big numbers you only have to make sure that you can take a small piece of that and that you have everyone on board to really make that actually execution uh, happen mm -hmm. thank you yeah i think a really big theme here has been the importance of collaboration and you mentioned this was very clear in Uppsala and you mentioned from your previous experiences that maybe that was something that wasn't so evident before but now in this ecosystem i think we asked the question how could you take better advantage of Uppsala, but it sounds like you really made the most of this ecosystem, the proximity to everything, the potential for collaboration. And um, I think the listeners have a lot to take take yeah. away with them. From I think we experience. owe something back almost. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it sounds like you're, you're the perfect case study for this. And, and are you prepared to give back in some way? In what uh, way would it be? I mean, I think Leif explained uh, a lot how we are aiming to give back to, to, the, yeah. to the clinical yeah. side of things. And I think from, uh, I mean, we are em employing people here. Mm. So, of course, we are uh, a growing team. We have a pretty pretty long-term growth plan. So, for sure, that mm. creates a lot of job, op job opportunities. I think also the technology in itself will probably uh, create new opportunities for, for other mm. innovations. And you're sharing here in this podcast yes. also. It's also a way. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Mm? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, it sounds like you're you're the perfect case study that everyone would want to look at um, <laughs> for how how to really succeed in Uppsala. And uh, thank you for being here today. Thank you. This podcast series is developed and produced by Stuns Life Science. Stuns is a foundation creating sustainable growth through private-public collaborations. Thank you for listening and for more information about this podcast and as well as about Stuns, please visit our website lifescience.stuns.se and follow us on LinkedIn where you will find us under our name. <laughs>